to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this very basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including an opera singer who screams your bones out, a pizza chef who cooks a pie with you as the topic, a crazed werewolf with a certain, I don't know, something about him, and a delirious court jester whose only bit is the fact that he killed a guy. I'm Mikey McCuller. I'm Roxy Polk. <laughs> Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest things we saw this week. What went down in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? So the thing that spooked me to my very bones this week is a creature, Mikey. But uh, not a uh, creature that exists in the scary basement, although there could be one scuttling around out here. No, this is a creature that exists in the real world outside. It is a... A real world scary monster? Yes, it is a scorpion spider. But it goes by many names, including... <laughs> The camel spider, wind scorpions, sun spiders, or solifuge. <laughs> solifuge <laughs> Every culture throughout history has their own name for it. Wait, what's the deal? It's a scorpion and a spider at once? So it looks like a scorpion and a spider at once. Um, if you search it, they're like giant and terrifying looking, but they're neither scorpions nor spiders. They're like a specific thing that's like in between that lives specifically in dry climates. They're in a lot of deserts and stuff. Mm. They eat like arthropods and other small animals. And when they say animals, I'm like, I don't know what <gasps> what could it be. Did you look at a photo of it? I did just Google it. It is very scary. They're terrifying, especially like their coloration. Like they're kind of subdued, sort of almost flesh colored at times. They're like dried out husk flesh colored. Like, I, Roxy, let me tell you about this Google I just did. Uh -oh. Because the Wi-Fi in the scary basement, pretty good. I was like really tense to look at this picture of a scary monster. Uh -huh. And so I clicked it in, scorpion spider. What Google Google did, autofill-wise, was fill in scorpion Spider-Man. And I got a bunch of cool pictures of the Spider-Man villain, Scorpion. Oh, well, that's a lot and more fun. And he looks cool. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that wasn't so scary. And then I realized what happened and I took off the man from Scorpion Spider and I saw it. And it was like... It was like taking off my body armor uh -huh. <laughs> to get shot. Like, it, it was way worse because I had this little moment of respite. Yeah, it looks like they have extra joints to their legs. They're kind of like, yeah, like a brownish flesh color, sort of. And they can be like five to six inches long. Oh, God. I'm looking at the Wikipedia and there's like close-ups of parts of it. And I didn't need to see that. Ugh. I hate it. Why did you come across this this week? Oh, man, because I was uh, watching a YouTube video that this girl called, uh, is it Hannah the Horrible or Horrible Hannah? She was going through an iceberg that was a list of things you should not research. And that was one of the things on it. And it just like stuck in my brain, especially because there's like urban legends around it where it's like people thought it was as big as like a human man's leg because of like uh -huh. a weird photo that surfaced. Like, a lot of the urban legends come from around the time the Iraq War happened, and, like, people, like, soldiers were running into these things. And one of them took a forced perspective picture to, like, send back home to be, look at this <laughs> fucking crazy, scary thing. And it made it look even bigger. So they were like, oh, is it called a camel spider because it eats camels? 
Does it chase <laughs> down people? Does it eat them? Is it venomous? I guess the fact that it does have the silhouette of a camel coming out of its back as though it gulped it down. Yeah, you <laughs> like know, a it's snake. just a little little bit of a, a hint there. But the thing is that they're not venomous, but they have very strong jaws. So they will like bite you. And the thing is, it'll look like it's coming after people because it is looking for shade. So if you come across one in the desert, mm. a human has a shadow if they're standing. It's going to come after that shadow because it's looking for the shade. It's not really trying to get you, but it sure as fuck looks like it's coming after you. Wow. No venom, strong jaw, doesn't like to be in the sun. Sounds like me. Mike, have you been one of these this whole time? Are you going to just like slough off your skin suit and you've been a giant camel spider the whole time? <laughs> just rip off my face and it's like I was like uh, six camel spiders sitting on each other's shoulders <laughs> trying to get into a movie. You all talk in unison so it doesn't sound like a bug. It sounds like a human voice. Just Yeah, we've got our act down. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should commend you for that. It's very talented. But uh, what about you, Mikey? What is the scariest thing you've run into this week? Well, okay, here's what scared me this week. I was watching a YouTube video from the website Insider. Okay. Uh, how great jump scares are made in horror movies versus bad jump scares. It was one of those, mm. like, came up in the YouTube algorithm for me, and I was watching right. it. And it is this, like, very intellectual breakdown, but it opens with a jump scare from a movie. Oh. And it was very scary. Because <laughs> you weren't it expecting was like, it? I was watching or? this whole movie. No, it was very clear that they were showing me an example of a jump scare. And then I think I'm just a coward because as I watched this video, even when they were like, let's break down this jump scare from Jason Takes Manhattan. And I watched it and it was like still kind of scary. It's like loud sounds and a sudden cut to Jason will scare me. Okay. And they were doing this really great like breakdown of of what you do to make a jump scare scary, what you do to ruin the suspense and then, you know, showing examples. But I was just like, Granted, the good ones are more scary, but the bad ones are still pretty scary. I do not have the nervous system for jump scares, which is why it's too bad that I'm stuck in this scary basement. Yeah, of all the people to get trapped down here, I don't seem to be affected by jump scares. If I do, it's very rarely, and Mikey is the opposite, who is continuously affected by <laughs> jump scares all the time, <laughs> every day. I think I'm getting a little better about it. Like, okay. I'm not that often scared of- <laughs> Uh, demon bot. There he is. Hi, demon bot. I didn't even hear you sneak up. He startled me. That's what that's what they call a jump scare, Mikey. Oh, I apologize. I was not listening to your conversation, waiting for the exact right moment to make myself known specifically to scare Mikey, who, as we all know, is a chicken shit. Demon bot. That's so cruel, man. He's uh, tell us how you really feel. I guess. God, yeah, I didn't realize I had uh, hit a nerve there. I've watched the two of you play games together on twitch.tv slash roxypoke and twitch.tv slash Mikey McCullough. You know it's true. Anyway, this week you were assigned the 2021 film Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, directed by Johannes Roberts and starring Hannah John Carmen, Kaya Scodelario, and Robbie Amell. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? Roxy, I did watch Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. I also watch Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Then you may keep your souls for now. Not that I would want such a frightened, timid soul such as yours, Mikey, that is so easily scared. You chicken. I mean, I guess he does want to take your... Maybe he's trying a different tactic to get you to have your soul leave your body so he can take it. He's, he's going the uh, mean girl's route here. 
Yeah, I definitely feel bullied into giving him yeah, my soul right? just See? so he'll like me again. Yeah. yeah, he knows you, Mikey. He knows you better than we'd perhaps like to admit. <laughs> Roxy, we both watched Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. And I feel like this movie needs a little bit of a disclaimer okay. based on our history with this franchise. Yeah, we've like hinted at it and said things here and there in episodes, but we need to put it here before this movie. <laughs> you and I love Resident Evil. Like the video lot. games, yes, we sure do. The video games, yeah. yes. Uh, Resident Evil 2 is my favorite video game of all time, both the remake and the original. I consider them one game. Oh, do you? And okay. they're like my children in that I, maybe not so much one game, but I, I don't have a favorite amongst them. Oh, like, I always right. just say my favorite video game is Resident Evil 2, and if I am ever pressed on which one, I don't respond. Okay. Because like, I, I think they're both an equal... Equally beautiful thing. They're both very good. The Resident Evil 2 remake that came out in 2019 was a unique experience for me that I don't think I will ever get again in that it felt like I was playing my favorite video game for the first time again. It is and that's amazing. Magic. It, it's one of my favorite games of all time. And it's the thing that got me back into Resident Evil after like Resident Evil 6 had kind of broken my heart in a way, I guess. Or maybe that's going yeah. too far. It disappointed me so much that I was like... Oh, should I even care anymore? <laughs> and then... It's an objectively bad video game. Resident Evil 6 also hurt my feelings. Yeah. I bought it day one. And me too. Played it for like an hour. And In fact, it was even <laughs> a joke like that... needed it out of my house. Me and my brother each bought it for each other so we could play it. Because we were like, we know we're going to want to play co-op together. And then we each got it for each right. other for Christmas or whatever it was that year. Um, And yeah, it felt exactly the same way you did. Wanted to kick it to the curb. But we did... Just an incredible disappointment. Well, once we got and to then... play better games, we reconciled our feelings with mm -hmm. six when we played it on yeah. stream together you should go look up those mods <laughs> guys that exist yeah us playing resident evil six was a a specific kind of hell yeah <laughs> like even before we were coming into the scary basement we were stuck in a a nightmarish unending <laughs> void Truly. that was playing resident evil six God, so but all that is to say this movie i almost feel like i need to watch it with two different minds like there is a a film version of this. This is a, an adaptation of this movie and or of this video game, rather. And we need to watch it both as film goers, people who appreciate movies mm -hmm. and stories, and people who love this franchise. Yeah. And this movie is certainly for one of those two groups. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and it does this thing so where it is trying to combine two games into a single movie, and games are like, yes, you know. Depending on how fast you speed run it, it's several hours for a single game with like two protagonists, right. usually. So all that is to say, I think we're going to try to talk about this as a movie on its own terms, but mm -hmm. I can't promise I'm going to be able to do a lot of Same. that. Same. There's definitely going to be back and forth for me. I can't not, yep. especially with the way that they approach making this movie as well. There's some inherent <laughs> yeah. things that we'll get into. Uh, so let's give a quick plot recap of Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Plot recap time. All right. We open in the Raccoon City Orphanage, where we meet two little sweetheart orphan kids sleeping in the same bed. The little girl wakes up and follows some sort of hunchback monster girl named Lisa Trevor down a corridor before she is pulled away by the mysterious Dr. Birkin. This little girl's brother who she was sleeping in the bed with, comes to protect her. And here we learn that these two kids are Resident Evil protagonists, Chris and Claire Redfield. And now adult Claire then wakes up from a dream in the truck of a slovenly man and his Doberman and his uh, very famous sandwich burger thing that he eats way too close to the camera. 
And then the truck driver hits a girl on the road, just freaking splattering her all over the place. He and Claire get out, but soon the girl gets up and runs away into the woods, despite having been splattered all over the road. This is when we meet rookie cop Leon Kennedy, who is snoozing in a diner where other cops, members of the Stars Alpha team, Jill Valentine, Wesker, and another guy, are there eating. Was it Richard? Yes, I think Richard was the name. Yeah, yes, Richard is the Richard. name of this guy. Okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> After the Alpha team leaves, Leon wakes up and notices that the waitress's eye is bleeding. She seems very nonplussed about it. Truly strange. When Claire gets to Chris's house, she tells him she's following the lead of a man named Ben Bertolucci. I don't think I've ever had to say his name out loud until now. Who suggests there is something <laughs> in the water and it's making the people of Raccoon City change somehow. Chris doesn't buy it, and before they can really hash out their beef, a siren goes off, pulling Chris into the office. Which is the police station, he's a cop. Left alone, Claire has to fight off a zombie boy and his zombie mother. At the police station, the chief of police, Brian Irons sends the stars, now including Chris, to the Spencer Mansion, where two officers have gone missing. Then, Chief Irons gets the hell out of Dodge, leaving Leon in charge. <laughs> A now zombified truck driver then crashes into the front of the station, and Leon gets his first taste of zombie action, shivering in his boots until Daddy Irons can come save him by shooting the zombie with a gun. On his way out of town, Irons is stopped by armed guards at the edge of town who open fire on various citizens to keep them from leaving Raccoon City. Irons skedaddles back to the station where he confronts a zombie dog. He is saved from the beast at the last minute by Claire. The pair are then joined by Leon and they form a weird little trio for some reason. Back at the Spencer mansion, Jill and Wesker split off from Chris and the other guy to go explore. The place is, of course, filled with zombies and we get a bunch of scenes of just people shooting zombies. The other guy, who we have since realized is named Richard, gets eaten. So good thing we remembered his name in time yeah, to describe time his to sudden death. We can put it on his tombstone, Mikey. Meanwhile, Wesker reveals to Jill that he is moonlighting as a mercenary for some other party and is being paid to find the viruses made by Dr. Birkin. Back at the station, Leon finds that reporter, Ben Bertolucci. He's in a cell and is just a few seconds away from getting eaten by a zombie. And then he does. Then he, Claire, and Chief Irons go to the Raccoon City Orphanage, where Irons believes they can find a way out. There, Irons is killed by a liquor, a ferocious tongue beast with claws, hanging from the ceiling. Leon and Claire are saved by the hunchback monster girl from the beginning, called Lisa Trevor, who then leads them to a secret passageway into the labs. The same labs currently being searched by Chris and Jill. Wesker then finds Dr. Birkin, shooting him and his wife right in front of their daughter Sherry. But before Wesker can get the virus samples he needs, Birkin injects them into himself, beginning the process of turning into a hulking beast with weird eyeballs all growing out of his shoulder. Jill then shoots Wesker to save Sherry. And before he expires, Wesker tells Jill and Chris that if they want to escape the city, they have to get on the underground train. Chris then confronts Birkin, who raised him, remember, as Birkin becomes more and more monstrous. But then Claire arrives with Leon in tow. She opens fire on Birkin and kinda sorta kills him. The gang of Chris, Leon, Jill, Claire, and Sherry then hop on the underground train. An even more huge and scary Birkin then shows up. He's all mutated. But Leon blasts him with a rocket launcher he found somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Raccoon City is then nuked and our heroes then walk out of the train tunnel. Survivors all. Then there's a post credit scene that is in no way coherent to anyone who hasn't played Resident Evil video games. Uh, Wesker is revived from the dead. He's given sunglasses 
by a woman named Ada Wong. Roxy, I'm going to ask you to try and imagine this scene if you have never played a Resident <laughs> Evil video game. And you're just like, what the, what are you talking about? It's gotta be so confusing. I mean, I guess they're like showing who he was talking to, like who hired him. So it's like, okay, that's a little bit of closure. But then you're like, here's this new character who you're introducing for what reason? Like, this is not a Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe movie where it's established enough where you can do that and expect there to be a next movie. And like the fact that people are invested in know enough, they have to know enough to be psyched about the next movie that is going to tease that, Mm -hmm. I guess. It's so baffling i had the same reaction to when because there's no way you could put everything in the summary there's also just a slideshow of the alexia and albert ashford twins that just claire plays randomly and i was like why did they put this in here (laughs) doesn't make any sense to anybody i mean i guess they're just showing that he was experimenting on other kids but it's so specific to code veronica i was just like what I don't know if people who right. saw it There's for the a- first time would be really confused or not by that. You know, it's kind of the same problem I have with the Harry Potter movies where it's like I've read those books enough to know like what's going on. Mm-hmm. But then I watch the movie and I'm like, is this even are you even able to follow this? Mm-hmm. Is it even coherent? Like, And I had the same question with this Resident Evil movie because it's like, I feel like, first of all, the choice to take two stories because uh, to be clear the resident evil video games the first video game is the stars alpha team investigating this mansion yeah and the second game is leon and claire trying to escape the city in an all-out zombie apocalypse yeah to merge those two stories it's like if you look at this script with a clear set of eyes you're just like oh i would probably cut all the mansion stuff yeah like, it should have just been one or the, the other. Stuff can go. The thing is, you could have done the first Resident Evil movie or game adaptation, and it would have been, like, spooky mansion with a mystery. We've got, like, these highly trained operatives. Like, one of them is a double crosser, so they've got their own intrigue going on. And you're trying to figure mm-hmm. out what the deal is with the mansion. It's got traps and secrets everywhere and has, like, a lab area. You know, like, you travel to many different places despite being in this mansion. Like, there's different locales. Mm -hmm. It's not like you'd be wanting for that. That easily could have been its own movie. And it should have been. And then, yeah, like, each one of them, it has a story you could very easily adapt to the big screen. And I don't know why everybody who is given (laughs) the ability to adapt it refuses to do so. It does feel like there's some sort of, like, apprehension on the part of those who are adapting Resident Evil stuff to just, like, make a Resident Evil thing. There's always this, like... It makes it feel like they're embarrassed about the games or something, or, like, they don't it, like them, or, like... That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, they're ashamed of these stories. Yeah. And they shouldn't be. They're just fine. <laughs> the stories are just fine. And if you give them the same cinematic spit shine you would give any other story you're adapting, like, you're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. I also get the feeling that it's like these dudes just want to put their own stink on it. So they're like, well, my headcanon fan fiction is that they should do this or something. <laughs> like the the original Resident Evil movie series felt like that. And then this one a bit too, because Mikey, did you know that the director is also the writer? And that's why the dialogue oh. is so bad and makes no sense often. <laughs> he also claims that Leon is his favorite character, yet Leon is shit on the most in this movie for no goddamn reason. Like, he is so I- beyond inept, and I don't know why that was the choice. He's like- Roxy, I will tell you, Leon was by far my favorite part of this movie. I mean, the actor I does a they good got job. Leon perfect. <laughs> you do? I think that is exactly how Leon should be. I love- a. Because he is inept. It's his first day. He should be that inept. Not quite this inept. 
Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, I was part... overjoyed with Leon was okay. great. It, it, okay, so and here's the again. You and I know these characters like intimately. Yeah, they from feel the games. like old friends that we've been acquainted with since our childhood yeah. in a way. <laughs> I I think this is a good way to give Leon an arc. Where he's just you shit on, and then he gets a big arc? moment at the at the end. Just because he randomly yeah, he finds like, a rocket launcher, that is not an arc, Mikey. He's completely inept, and then he I, somehow gets a MacGuffin out of nowhere, and then that he just blows it up. Yeah, he changes. But he doesn't change. He goes. <laughs> he goes through Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Uh, his goddess is a rocket launcher oh <laughs> that God. he finds. And uh, yeah, no, I Chris and I, Jill are the I only like, ones I feel like I could argue have an arc in this movie, and even then, it's more Chris than anybody else. And this, okay, one thing, this Chris feels like he has more characterization than Chris in probably any of the games in a way. Which, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> Chris. Chris, we've talked about this before. Chris is a lunkhead in the video. He's games. like default and in this man game, is what he feels like. Yeah, he's he's not much more. Yeah. But, like, he's kind of, he's perfect as Chris. He looks like Chris, yes. and he acts like He Chris. looks so much like it, and, like, the actor is a fan, too. He was, like, really excited about it, mm. which was very cute. Like, everybody who worked <laughs> on this movie, it seems like they had a very fun time working on it. So, like, wh- whatever our gripes or criticisms or, like, stuff we say about it, like, I don't know. Mm. It seemed like it was a fun production all the, all around. I'm glad they're working. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad these people are getting paychecks from Capcom. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought the first half of this movie was very, very fun. It, had a lot it of, was just like big and silly. Yeah, and it had potential where you were like, well, are they going to wrap it up? Because you haven't gotten to the end of the movie to know if they do or not yet. And like how mm-hmm. kind of frayed everything gets. Because like I did sort of appreciate that they gave Chris this characterization for him to be so kind of like in denial about what was happening is because Birkin is his yeah. father figure who it got him to where he is. And since mm-hmm. his like childhood you know, and it's like he is acquainted with Sherry, which is weird because, like, I don't know if he ever meets Sherry until, like, Resident Evil 6 otherwise, like, mm-hmm. in the games. But it's kind of like he wanted a family of his own, especially after Claire left. And so Birkin was kind of that pseudo family for him to the point where, like, they're taking photos together and he has framed them and put them mm-hmm. up in his house. And then he learns that his father figure has just been using him this whole time. He's just a test subject. Um and one of the reasons why, like, the STARS team are not coming down with the the sickness, <laughs> they're not down with the sickness, uh, is because, <laughs> yep, is because they're being experimented on, which was kind of, like, a nice explanation for why, like, yeah, they get bit by zombies in the game and, like, don't turn. Why is that? Uh-huh. Uh, so those were, like, kind <laughs> of neat. One of many plot holes from the games I des- didn't necessarily need answers. Yeah, exactly. But you're right. Like, that's, like, a kind of cool idea. I think the idea was that they were vaccinating the police yeah, yeah, yeah. against the virus because they were like, you know, theoretically important to the continued survival of Raccoon City. There's also, we should talk about this, there is an element of um, like decaying small towns in America like yeah. going through economic hardship that is kind of uh, uh, draped over this story like a thin blanket. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really do much for anything besides uh, Wesker who is a character on oh my the, God. Uh, the stars team, uh-huh. who in the video games is like the big bad of the series. He's like, like is working for the evil company throughout. He's calm, collected. And this, he's just like in, a hired gun. He's calm, collected. It feels like he's in control, is like a very serious person. He is also like the squad mm-hmm. leader. 
he wears sunglasses to literally obscure his eyes so you can't tell like what he he's doing like how mm-hmm. he's emoting which is like a character design choice to make him look more mysterious and it does do that in this movie he's a lunkhead frat boat bro kind of type like yeah like a muscly hired goon vibe to him and for some reason jill has a crush on him which is also weird and was like why are we doing this so he was so miscast and it's not it's not the actor's fault he was just cast to do it but whoever was in charge of it he doesn't fit wesker like he kind of looks like him when you put on the glasses at the end that is the only time Mm. when it felt like he looked like wesker but like his character the way he was written does not feel like wesker at all to me there is um a tweet that I will find and source at some point that okay. somebody wrote a long time ago that's really stuck with me that says like, man, we used to, if there was a show called Surfing Vampire, it's like every week it would be the Surfing Vampire gets into new adventures. But nowadays, if Netflix rebooted Surfing Vampires, it would be a whole season of bullshit. And then at the very end of the first season, he would pick up a surfboard and look at it. And that would be the end of the first season. And they're right. There's this trend. <laughs> And these, like, uh-huh. rebooted properties to, like, pick an obscure detail and hold it back. It's like, well, why isn't Wesker wearing sunglasses? And then your final little treat at the end of the movie is, like, he finally gets his sunglasses. And it is wearing thin on me, Roxy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is where the, it's like, so disappointing. Just make Wesker Wesker. Because, like, you should just put the good stuff up front. Like, don't hold it back. And also... I watched some of the behind the scenes things where they were like, yeah, we made Wesker like really human and yada yada. It's like, <laughs> that's not the draw or appeal of Wesker. Right. He He's a fucking goober who thinks he's getting combat data by <laughs> sacrificing his whole team so that he can get combat data to sell it because he was like a protege of the big bad who like founded Umbrella. That was interesting right. and stupid and I loved it. And then I, I would argue it's not interesting, and that is what made it good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like the the way maybe it's like hard to kind of capture the way that the game, especially the original game from like what nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety six, like how ninety six the voice acting and like the pacing and everything, how it shakes out. It's so it's so fun and it's so goofy and it's like yeah okay you're sacrificing this elite member or this elite team. That you've, like, formed a relationship for years. For some reason, you're just going to throw them into this mansion where there's big, giant amphibians with claws and then just, like, (laughs) infected humans and, like, uh, crimson heads, which, I mean, those don't show up in the movie at all, but, like, all kinds of monsters. Mm -hmm. And then how are you recording it? Are there cameras everywhere? I don't understand how he collects the combat data that he collects. Yeah. Combat data is the funniest way for any story to just like, well, we need to have a bunch of cool shit happen. Why did the villain do all this yeah. to make all the cool shit happen? It's like, well, he needed combat data. And it's like, fuck yeah. He did. Yeah, yeah. I love combat yeah. data as a plot point. Like he is kind of I, that I character say, when they need something mysterious or weird to happen. It's just like Wesker just did it because Umbrella or because whatever. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. <laughs> you never know what he's going to do next. This movie, for all that it gets wrong about some of the Resident Evil lore specifics and why I think that the story is borderline incomprehensible Mm -hmm. because it's two separate stories mashed together. And like only if you have the perspective Um, of the games would it make any sense. I really want to talk to someone who has never seen or played any of the games and hear what they thought about it because I cannot (sighs) like disconnect myself from that to try and even fathom what that's like. (laughs) (laughs) But like I will say I do feel like this movie kind of got the tone right. 
It did in, in a lot of ways. In terms of it being like really grim when it's time to fight monsters and the liquor is scary and it's, you know, raining and it feels dark and grimy. Yeah. And then there's also these moments of just borderline silliness. Like The look when... of the movie. They, they nailed the look so much. They like yeah. recreated so many things from the game. Some things were just like, hell yeah, that's cool. And other things were like, you didn't need to do that. Why did you spend your time on that? But okay, it's there, I guess. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that sticks out to me is that like freaky doll from the orphanage at the beginning. Yeah. It shows up for a second in, when you get to play as Sherry in the second game. And you like look at it, you can rotate it, and like that's it. And then you never see it mm-hmm. again. But for some reason, there's like four shots or something in the beginning of this movie <laughs> with this doll that they modeled i don't even know if it's i'm assuming it's a real thing but it could also just be a cgi thing sitting there i don't I can't know imagine yeah <laughs> it's like we don't need to see like four shots of this for some reason what is okay yeah i guess that you made a thing that exists in the game but who cares okay right there's a lot of uh just grafting on of yeah things there is a in the first resident evil game you are finding notes throughout the mansion, right? Yes. And there's a very famous note that is written from, a, like, a, a, by a man as he is turning into a zombie. And it's like his speech starts to deteriorate. And by the end, he's just like, uh, Scott came in, so killed him. Ugly face, ate him. <laughs> itchy, tasty. And itchy, tasty is kind of like this famous line. Yeah. And it just feels like they were so close mm-hmm. because there is a zombie in this movie that writes itchy tasty in blood on the window yeah but that's like not quite the context that's not what was creepy about it we weren't seeing that transition from human to zombie a zombie like why would they scream it and then then that's what happens the zombie like breaks into the house and attacks claire and screams itchy tasty Mm -hmm. it's just like these shiny objects that like the screenwriter or director are just like grabbing at and it's like here's a thing here's a thing here's a thing as opposed to telling a coherent story within the world of Resident Evil that clearly they had the ability to do. Yeah, like it it feels very like a surface level interpretation. And like, I loved being able to see the mansion the way that they recreated the interiors and like the police Mm -hmm. station exterior and interiors the way that they were able to recreate those. The orphanage exterior, like it looks just like the games. It's so good. I I do have to give them props for things like that. And those are, like, locations. So, like, that's fine. That's not incongruous Mm -hmm. with anything else. But then, yeah, then you've got stuff like the notes with the itchy tasty, which is, like, why? And then... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Also, Irons is given so much screen time in this movie that I didn't even really register until the second time I watched it. And I was like, why are we watching Irons just run around everywhere for some reason? Like, he's completely unlikable and is working for Umbrella in the games. And then this time, I kind of can't tell. Like, he's just trying to leave. Was he? Yeah, I think he's just a normal guy. Yeah, he's just like an asshole to be an asshole. I I think I can tell you what's happening is that actor is like a really good uh, like not like a famous actor, but like he's like a well-respected. He's actor a character, people, yeah. Uh, Donald I like Logan. him. Yeah. yeah, usually in everything. He's in he said one he's of good. my favorite. I-, I would say the best single season TV show I've ever seen. Is it that uh, Detective Terriers on FX? Yes, yeah, that show is yes. really good, and it's a shame That's it got canceled. All-time it great show. Should have gotten more seasons. The actor who plays uh, Chief Irons is the main character, so it just seems like they're like, "Holy shit, we got Donald Logue!" Like. Give him more his space, character. I guess. Give him more stuff. Like, and you can just see those meetings happening. He's They're so like, aggressive. oh, we've got him. We've, we've got to see this character. And it's just like, he's not a character. And it's it's so weird. 
that like you would already have this overstuffed movie that has two completely separate stories with like that are two coming main characters for no reason so it's like four main, two main char- characters each. yeah each each <laughs> game has two main characters so we have four main characters so there's no main character yeah. in this movie basically and then they're like but what we need is more of another character yeah and and what if we removed everything specific about him? Yes, exactly. Like, why? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> like, he was a weirdo who, like, had stuffed animals, like a stuffed tiger, all these, like, taxidermy creatures in his office, and, like, mm-hmm. he killed the mayor's daughter just because he could. Yes. And, like, <laughs> he's been contacting <laughs> with Umbrella the whole time. One of the whole sticking points for Resident Evil 3 is that Jill learns how corrupt he is and that she can't change the police force from within because it's so rotted so that's why she leaves because she found out about irons and everything else too uh because he's that bad it feels like chief irons is kind of the villain of resident evil 2 like i think this is kind of a zombie he's a human villain well i guess there's birkin as well but it's a little different i guess that's true yeah it's like you've got this um really interesting scary frightening character who again in a note in resident evil 2 the video game that you find from chief irons he describes like you you meet him and he is there with the mayor's daughter's dead body like on his desk right (laughs) yeah and he's just like i was supposed to protect her and i didn't and then you find a note that tells you like he not only killed her himself he's planning to taxidermy her like he is this great rich operatic supervillain and the and he's idea, like hunting like, a child exactly- too like he's hunting sherry who's a child yeah. and like kicks claire in the face like in the new game i think and yes. like does all sorts of stuff there's even like an entire side quest thing where you're playing as sherry running away from him so you're like this little helpless child trying to escape this giant lumbering dangerous adult who has like a gun and wants to kill her (laughs) here's the thing i've noticed from my years and years of fandom of resident evil is that there are different strands of resident evil fans Mm. and there's a lot of people who like love the umbrella corporation which is kind of the big bad of this really? movie yeah. right there's this evil corporation and people will like wear umbrella shirts so they'll get like on their car like property of umbrella like well is it because they think umbrella is like cool or it's just like i like resident evil and this is a thing from resident evil so i'm wearing it or are Here's they like my, umbrella company had some good ideas <laughs> my guess is that there are people uh, because there's also i don't know if these are the same sect of people or different people but there are people who are like really invested in the resident evil lore Okay. How, like, you know, after Resident Evil 2, this is what happened to Sherry Birkin. And then when we see her again in 6, she went through these specific experiments. And it's just like, for me, as one of the biggest fans of this franchise overall in the world, all of that stuff does not matter to me. What matters to me is that it's like this puzzles <laughs> i love puzzles yes <laughs> the games are full of like insert the wolf medallion into single... the crest and uh get access to the secret room behind the bookshelf like that shit yeah is fun which this movie but contained there's... exactly one puzzle no what two was the one puzzle i guess two there was the uh playing moonlight sonata which wesker does strangely enough wesker plays yes. moonlight sonata on the uh piano which opens a <laughs> and secret then a room wall slides over like one yeah <laughs> And then the other one is, like, the keys that Lisa Trevor gives Claire, which, again, we haven't even talked about Lisa Trevor, which is her own thing. And she, like, shows Claire, oh, there's a secret keyhole. And then I don't know if I'd call that a puzzle. But it was, like, kind of neat that it was something like that that you would – I'm sure we've seen stuff like that exactly in the game before. Yeah. In the the second game, you are, like, collecting these – 
card key shaped like you get the club key and you get the clover key and that's how you yeah. kind of progress through the main station and in this one god bless them they recreated lisa it. trevor hands them a ring of all of the keys from the game and i was like oh those are from the game this yeah exactly it's another like, thing like that stoked. too where it's like oh yeah that's from the game they did it in the game so now i don't know i just feel like you know it, it's a series that's existed since 1996 so it's what 25 30 years old I can't do math right now. So I'm, sure. I mean, it's insane. I can't do this yeah. math this quick. 96, 2006, 2016, uh, 20. I think they had a 25th or 30th uh, anniversary. It's like 27. I can't remember. Yeah. Who cares? It's been it's been around for so long. And the games, like we were talking about how Resident Evil 6 disappointed us. But there, millions of people bought that game too. Like there have been different kinds of games. Yeah. And then they brought it there back. There different and... stuff throughout. Yeah. Like. Seven was so completely different. <laughs> there's there's so much stuff in this franchise yeah. that it's hard to pick, like, what is the tone you're going to want to see? You know, we all also had these Resident Evil movies with Mila Jovovich that were pure action. You yeah. had Resident Evil 5 and 6, which are kind of pure action games. You have Resident Evil 1 that is both a campy B-horror movie and a, an escape room. And it's just like picking a track is so difficult for this series, mm-hmm. and they keep at least from my perspective, they keep running away from the part I love, which is that it's just kind of silly and stupid. Like, I would, if I was writing a Resident Evil movie, I would not be ashamed of Chief Irons or Wesker. I would have them be balls to the wall, like Hannibal Lecter level, chewing the scenery, yeah. being insane supervillains, and Chris and Jill just going like, what? Exactly. Wesker, you're crazy. Yeah, they're such like foils, too, because of that. You have these outlandish villains- And then these... There's contrast in them. Yeah. Like, if you humanize every character, you humanize none of them. Like, I I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but in terms of this movie and the kind of beats you have to hit, like, you do have to turn one of your characters into a giant eyeball monster. (laughs) Like, when you're already that that silly, like, don't humanize him that much. (laughs) Like, we, we can have a couple of characters who are just obscenely evil that we've seen in other zombie movies like this, right? I feel like... I'm going to get this wrong, but I feel like it's like Day of the Dead has, again, the human villain of it mm-hmm. who's just like, we are not leaving this basement. And it's always the people who, like, get bitten and uh, don't tell anybody. Like, these yeah. characters who are making big choices that are just, like, disgusting and vile and we hate them so much. And then we get to see them get killed in cool ways. And it's like a fist bump moment. Like. Don't run from that Resident Evil. Yeah. Give us a silly Wesker who's insane and then a tyrant that he is excited to show that, like, this new monster he created yeah. fucking kills him and it's awesome! Especially because every game is about, like, killing that main villain, you're gonna dispose of them, and sure, you can bring them back in the next game, but, like, you don't have to worry about that now. Just kill them there, and then you can go from there, just like each game does. Just kill them there. Wesker became, like, a <laughs> black trench coat matrix teleporting man by the time he got to Resident Evil 5, and it was, like, the hammiest shit in the world that was still fun. That's what I'm saying. There's, like, there's, there's fun like in missing it. Missing a hamminess. Yeah. And and I think even, again, now, to sh- like, that was a lot of <laughs> Resident Evil fan uh-huh. stuff. Like, to shift back to a movie fan stuff, it's like, this hamminess is still there. Like, these characters are still, like, hyper-exaggerated. Leon is, like, a cartoon in how inept yeah. he is. And I think that's why I like him, because he's the only one who feels like 
he's in the tone and tenor of the Resident Evil I like because he is kind of a cartoon character. I would argue Leon would work better as a human being and Wesker or Chief Irons would work better as cartoon characters. Yes. But that's just me. No, I think that's a valid point, especially when it's like he's one of your viewpoint characters and the director literally said, we want everybody to be able to journey through this story through Leon's eyes because he's my favorite and he's just like new on the job, I guess. It's like, I don't think you (laughs) did that, but okay. (laughs) I mean, that is also, I would argue, a huge problem with this movie is it doesn't have a point of view. It doesn't. That is a huge issue. Like like we said. It's kind of Claire's story from the beginning. And then she disappears for a huge chunk of the movie and then just shows up again to save Chief Irons from a dog. Like she was gone. Yeah. And like, for like 20 minutes. Jill basically does nothing, which is such a shame because Jill is one of like my favorite characters in the franchise. So to have her mm-hmm. be relegated to like having a crush on Wesker and then saving Wesker from a helicopter. And then I guess she shoots Birkin when they get down to the bottom at the end. That's basically all she does. Yeah. No reason for that character to be in this Which sucks movie. because I love Jill. And, like, the actress didn't do a bad job, even though she looks very different from, like, the the Jill you see in the Mm -hmm. games. Like, I never had a problem with that. And she gets kind of, like, she doesn't exactly get her personality wrong, but, like, she is shown as more of, like, a loose cannon, kind of. Like, that's how they describe her for some reason. And I'm like, that's not who Jill (laughs) is. That's weird choice, but okay. Yeah. And, yeah, so they completely underutilized her to the point where it's, like, just save Jill for later or just don't have her there if you're not going to use her to her full pot- potential. And you've already got, like, three other viewpoint characters at this point. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, Roxy, I've been holding on to this, but I actually anticipated this movie being confusing for somebody who'd never played a Resident Evil video game. So I went ahead and asked my 16-year-old cousin Jesse, who has never played a Resident Evil video game, to watch Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City and report back in. You know, I was wondering who that quiet guy in the corner was this whole time. Uh, nice to meet you, Jesse. Hey. Okay, pal, here's the big question. Without any video game context, what did you think of the movie? Well, it was a little confusing. There were a lot of characters and none of them were super likable. I did think the liquor was cool, though. You know, the liquor is a really cool monster. So cool. Those sharp claws and long tongue. I bet no one picks on the liquor. Well, I mean, they do fight the liquor. But no one picks on the liquor. Like, no one ever pushes him in the halls between class or stuffs him into lockers or asks to see his Yu-Gi-Oh cards and then pockets them and then pretends they don't know what you're talking about when you ask for your Yu-Gi-Oh cards back. Can you even imagine that happening to the liquor? I I guess I can't. Wouldn't it be cool to be the liquor, to have long claws and a long tongue and not to take any shit from those guys on the football team? Are you okay, Jesse? It sounds like school might be tough for you. I'm good. Like, uh, I've actually been filing my fingernails into claws and stretching my tongue to make it longer, going like, Wait, are you trying to emulate the liquor? Because it's not like the liquor was, you know, a good guy. He wasn't even a guy. Where did being a good guy get me? Stuffed in a locker without my Yu-Gi-Oh cards? Do you think the liquor smokes cigarettes to get that raspy voice? Should I smoke cigarettes? Mikey, I'm starting to think the liquor might be a bad role model. I'm going to steal money from my mom's purse to buy cigarettes. Such a liquor thing to do. Listen, Jesse, you, Roxy, and I have been talking, and we think it's maybe a good idea for you to find a different role model besides the liquor. You're not my mom. You can't tell me what to do. Maybe it'd be best if you didn't see the liquor anymore. I'd rather be dead. You're acting like those guys on the football team right now, and if you're not careful, you're going to end up on my liquor list. Is that what you want? Do you want to be on my liquor list? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> okay, good. 
Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be blind. I'm going to stick my tongue out more than Gene Simmons, and I'm going to go so aggro that no one can stop me. <laughs> I cannot believe he just skittered away on the ceiling from us. Hey, just give him time. He'll come around. Remember how hard I tried to be like the Cloverfield monster in high school? Yeah, I suppose you're right. Roxy, this is a, a, a sticky question. Okay. Because I don't know that there is one. <laughs> but what do you think is the big idea of this movie? What deep human fear is it poking at? I think, so just because they basically copy-pasted things from the game, they sort of got this. So I'm not going to give the movie mm-hmm. the credit for it. I'm going to give the source material that they were lifting it from the credit for it. But it's basically about mm-hmm. how capitalism is bad unchecked capitalism is bad how they are going to exploit a small town they will completely obliterate it and the people inhabiting it and not give a shit they'll just move to a new town Mm -hmm. and start all over and nobody will care because they're poor people who can't move to leave you know and they're just gonna die in that city and they can suppress the news so it won't be reported because you even have the whole storyline with the reporter who goes in there to try and bust it wide open who is like friends with claire they enter they Reference internet chat rooms, which is, like, maybe one of the funnier lines. <laughs> where Chris is like, what's a chat room? <laughs> it's a great question because we have not used chat rooms in a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd say that thread of it still exists because the Umbrella Corporation is still, like, the enemy. And they've got kind of, like, this shadow over Innsmouth feel where you are seeing the citizenry slowly, like, degrading from this thing that's happened to them where they all kind of feel like they are like zombies before they even become true zombies whereas like in the Mm -hmm. game it's more standard where like you get bit and then that's it then you turn into like a zombie you haven't been being slowly poisoned for like years to turn into one so yeah that's what i'd say i I guess there's definitely (laughs) there's almost nothing beyond this there are enough details of this story to say that like it's about a, a town dying and it's dying economically, and then it's dying zombie-wise. Yeah. And then they don't follow through with that at all. It's just like, yeah, then the movie just is just, and, and like I, I uh, earlier I was saying that like, there's just a bunch of scenes that, where Chris is going around shooting zombies. It's like, those are not moving the story forward. Yeah. And it feels like that this whole movie the, is a, a shot of scenes not moving all, the story All of the forward. Spencer Mansion stuff, while it was so cool to see some of those spots- it didn't have any relevance except for Wesker just getting to the labs a different way. That's basically all it was. Because you have Leon and Claire get to the labs the other way, and it's just like you didn't uh-huh. need to have this. It's It was cool to see, sure, but you didn't need to have it here. And also, something that I didn't notice. Okay, so two things. Okay. So I watched a video that Elvis the Alien did about reviewing these, because he he's also a big Resident Evil fan. And he brought up two things that I didn't notice the first time around. One of them is that this movie, the script says the word fuck so many times, like, instead of writing actually anything. And, like, I don't care about swears, whatever. But it's just, like, sometimes every other person's word that they would say is just fuck. Or a character just enters the scene and is like, fuck, 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 fuck. And it's just, like, different octaves from different characters, and that's the whole scene. That's what it feels like a lot. Roxy, you are you are so correct, and I took note of that because there is a scene in this movie where, like, the helicopter is crashing into the mansion Uh and jill gets this moment that they do in pg-13 movies where you're not allowed to say fuck Uh where she goes oh fuck and then it crashes Uh and i was like 
you're allowed to say fuck. You said fuck a lot yes. in this movie. Like, even when you didn't need to, even when, like, it just makes no sense. It's like, oh, what would a badass, like, person with a gun say? They'd say fuck all the time. That's what they it felt like fuck, it yeah. was. So, like, there's that, which, like, the first time I watched it, I was just in theaters and, like, blown away. I was like, what the fuck is that? What is this? I was just looking at everything that was happening. Then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, they do say it a lot. It, like, distractingly mm-hmm. a lot. Um, And then... I think it, like, it... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I was going to go to a different tangent. So if you have something else to say about saying the word fuck all the time, uh, we should talk about Absolutely not. I was just going to say the word fuck once and then feel cool about myself and then bounce. There you go. And then uh, I'll do the rest of the podcast myself today, guys. (laughs) Um, So then the other thing that I didn't notice until the second time I watched it because Elvis had pointed out is that during that mansion scene where Chris is shooting the zombies for a very long time. He has a lighter (laughs) because Chris has a lighter in the games, which I was like, cool, he has a lighter. But a thing that they do with the sound design that is baffling, and it will lead into a broader discussion about the sound design in general, is that when his lighter goes out, the zombie noise stops. So there's zombies all around him Mm -hmm. coming to get him. When he turns on the light, you hear like their raptor screech zombie noise. And then when the lighter goes Mm -hmm. off, the zombies are quiet. They don't say anything. And it's like, what the zombie would still be making noise like it (laughs) (laughs) so it's like a strobe light that is also turning on and off the zombie noise even though he's surrounded by like a literal crowd of them and it's so jarringly strange i don't know why and like all the zombies sound like weird raptors they it does make it seem like the zombies are like aware of lighting situations like they're sneaking through like it's a metal gear solid game yeah it's just like why there's also a moment there's also a moment where like chris's flashlight dies or something and all he has is his lighter and there's a zombie like crawling towards him and his lighter goes out and he like really quick turns the lighter back on and the zombie is gone that was right in front of him for like a beat and then it like it sneaks up behind him it like flanks it makes no sense he's not like how come yeah he's not like a freddy or something he's just a mindless thing trying to eat you he's not trying to fuck with you he's just a zombie like what (laughs) How scary would it be, though, if Freddy got bit by a zombie and then was also a zombie? Mm, I mean, Like a zombie with Freddy powers? Would he even know how to use those Freddy powers if he's a zombie at that point, though? That's that's a great point. When human beings get turned into a zombie, they lose their powers, such as uh, writing and conflict resolution. I mean, this, so this is true. <laughs> you have to imagine that Freddy would lose his powers of dream control and uh, being snarky. Also, speaking of zombies, can we talk about the zombie that was on fire that is set to the music Crush? Oh, that's a good moment. <laughs> I w- yeah, that was fun. I was, like, screaming at the screen when I was watching it in theaters. I was like, what? <laughs> Which, like, Leon is sitting there with 90s headphones. Like, those shitty little ones that were on a disc man that, like, you can hear everything yeah. around. They have no sound insulation. He is <laughs> listening to that Crush song. Who who does Crush? Is Crush the name of the song or it's just that part of the song? Mikey, do you know? Yes. Crush song is what I just Googled. Jennifer Page? Is that it? Yeah, it's Jennifer Page's crush. Um, So Leon is listening to that on his disc man at the front gate, which, by the way, he didn't close the front gate or the front door of the police station while things are going bad. Strange. Um, He is asleep at the desk for some reason. Well, he's hungover. I guess. <laughs> and then a giant <laughs> tanker, the one that looks like... From the beginning of the movie and, like, the beginning of the second game that, like, Claire hopped a ride with in the movie, that guy finally turns into a zombie, crashes into 
the police station and explodes a giant like oil tanker or something. Leon doesn't wake up. Yeah. And then no. the diegetic sound kicks in where he is we've got Crush layered over a zombie calmly walking then on fire towards Leon. Not like he didn't even try and do the zombie choreography or anything. He's not stumbling. He's just calmly walking. He looks like a man in a business yeah. suit on fire walking to a meeting. It's so strange. And then Leon still doesn't see that until Chief Irons shoots him from across the room. That's what wakes him up. That's a great point. I did not piece together how like I remember thinking it was weird that like the fire wasn't distracting him. Like if yeah, that too. Like flame the heat is in the room. Yes, the heat, the f everything, like the explosion, the heat from the zombie, the noise, like all of it should have woken him up, but it didn't. And in a way, I was... But the zombie just strolling yes. in is like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a little more upsetting. It kind of like, is. It, it, it's, it, it's so It's casual. a reminder that these zombies were once men. I guess so. And if you light a man on fire, they're not going to raise their arms forward and drope their wrists like they're in the thriller video. That's no, true. they're going to just stumble forward and hope the law enforcement officer will help Yeah, him. and so like a part of me... Is like, this scene is so bananas, I can kind of enjoy it for just how insane it is to have a crush playing over the, like, it's such a baffling choice, but it's actually kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But I'm also like, it's very stupid and makes absolutely no sense in context. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the kind of moments I want in my Resident Evil movie. It, it could, yeah, if we had more of that. There's also a strange part where Journey plays over the diegetic sound for when... Irons is trying to escape Raccoon City. Like when that sequence when he's given too much screen time, they're playing a journey song while he's uh -huh. like rear-ending a card, like going backwards and forwards, trying to get out of like a blockade. Mm -hmm. That also had like a character Pretty dressed cool. up looking like Hunk, because they were like, oh, there's a hunk there, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you see that? Yeah, another another uh, shiny object yes. that they were distracted by, that they put in, that I don't know, didn't work for me. I was just like, all right, I know. There are other characters in the Resident Evil universe. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Also, the, that the ending is so abrupt, too. Like, they just walk out of the tunnel, don't say anything to each other, barely even yep. get out of the tunnel, and then it just hard cuts. And then it's like, that's the end. Yeah. And they had, like, some... Well, that's why I'm like, this movie isn't about anything. Yeah. Because, like, there's no change. Like, they didn't... Chris, I guess, went from thinking Umbrella was nice to thinking it wasn't. Like, yeah. All right. There's a very bad CGI cow <sighs> that gets exploded when Raccoon City gets exploded that... I was like, that was funny. somebody thought that was really funny, but then they also didn't render the cow at all, so it just looks so distractingly bad. <laughs> the humor is lost on me because it looks so weird. Uh, uh, I get it. Uh, Roxy, did you have a question for me? Yes, I have a question for you. So, Birkin, doc Dr. Birkin, he uh, turns into a big mm -hmm. eyeball monster because it was his life's work to create the T-virus to turn other people into eyeball monsters, I guess. Uh, they don't really talk about what his goal was in the movie with doing this. <laughs> Just creating monsters, I guess. <laughs> so he gets shot, and as he lay dying, he's like, well, fuck it, and decides to inject the... Uh, fuck it! T-virus into himself, because maybe now he... He goes, oh, fuck, and then they cut to the needle injecting yeah, into his exactly. arm. They don't do that. Um, so my question to you, Mikey, is if you lay dying and had the choice to inject yourself with T-virus or not, would you do it? Roxy, mm -hmm. my answer is absolutely not. Okay. I would absolutely not. Not even close. I am so worried about turning into a zombie when I die that uh, – and and you're in charge of 
my final request, yes. right? You're in charge of, you're going to be the arbiter of my will. I'm going to leave you. You're my uh, life insurance uh-huh. holder. <laughs> so going to build that tombstone with the puzzle like you asked for. Yes, I do want my tombstone to be turned into a Resident Evil style puzzle that if somebody finds the wolf crest, they can insert in and get some sort of reward. But also, I want you to put a bullet in my head. Okay. Because I don't even want to risk turning into a zombie, let alone an eyeball monster. It's so selfish. You're already dead. You've lost all of your human capacity for reason and warmth and love and making music. So why are you going to turn? What do you want to turn into a monster for? Just to hurt other people? Unacceptable. No, no, no. I will not have it. Mikey, you don't want the ultimate power. You don't want to be the strongest creation in existence. I don't want any power. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have been asked numerous times by the DNC to run for state senator, and I keep saying no. But what if you get uh, Matrix powers and shiny lizard eyes like Wesker, instead of getting the giant eyeball arms and mutating torso and all the rest of you like Birkin? Now, that's a different question, because if I can maintain my humanity, again, my criteria for maintaining humanity is can I write a song and okay. tell someone I love them? Gotcha. <laughs> if I can still do those two things then sure, I would love superpowers. I would love to, I, I don't want my eyes to glow. I wouldn't mind them changing colors. But if I can do cool like parkour style uh-huh. <laughs> movements and backflips <laughs> and shoot lasers out of my hands, that sounds cool to me. But again, yeah, we're talking about I love them. Wesker. I have to write a song. And they have to be separate. Or not, not Wesker, Birkin. I, they have to be separate. They have to be separate. I can't so tell can't somebody love I love song? them through a song. That would be cheating. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> what about you? Would you take the T-virus as you lay dying? Uh, so, like, when Birkin does it, it's because he's been murdered, essentially. Like, he's been murdered. His life's work is being stolen, and he's been murdered. Well, I guess I've been murdered. <laughs> I, I don't know if his wife has been murdered by that point, but, like, his daughter is in the room. And, like, <laughs> he also doesn't really know what it does yet. So he's just like, this is the ultimate thing. I get- It's my life's work. I guess I'll do it. YOLO. Uh-huh. And then, without thinking about the consequences. Uh, so I could understand, like, maybe wanting to see how your life's work turned out and getting revenge on the person who killed you in that moment. So sure, turn into a monster so I can kill him. But uh, no, I I would similarly not do it because, uh, yeah, what fun is it if you're a giant flesh creature? I mean, even if you win and kill everybody, then what do you do? You just slither around? How's that fun? Yeah, then you become- Slither around in the apocalypse. King of the monsters? Yeah, which don't even, you probably just kill them all too because you're the ultimate being or whatever. Right. Just slither around I, until aliens find you as a single creature alive on the planet. <laughs> Doesn't sound <laughs> fun to me. Listen, nobody has ever told an alien story where it's just like the end of the Resident Evil timeline yes. where aliens come to Earth and all that's left is the G-Virus monster and he's taken over like most of North America. Yeah, just a giant flesh <laughs> just, like, creature. One slimy like, and they're like... <laughs> I don't know how far we're going to get in peace negotiations here, uh, Goltar, and then Goltar is going to be like, yeah, do you want to go get a space hamburger? And then they're going to go back to space. Yeah, I I would too if I was Goltar and his friend in that situation. Uh, so that's like best case scenario if you don't die, then worst case you just get blowed up by a rocket launcher by a Resident Evil protagonist. So uh, both that of those- would- Oh, okay, uh, Roxy, I need to amend my final wish. I don't want a bullet in my head. I do want you to blow my body up with a rocket launcher. Oh, okay. I, I, in your honor, I will. You got to make sure you put it in your um, will, though, because otherwise cool. it will- I also think a burial by sky would be cool. It, it will look like I'm destroying evidence. <laughs> They're like, oh, you just <laughs> obliterated his corpse, huh? Okay, that's very suspicious. <laughs> um, but Thank so, you. Okay, I, I gotcha. Will... 
so died I by would, triangulation or something. I'll, I'll take you out into the woods, Mikey, so then we can blow you up and then you can have Sky Burial too. How's that sound? That sounds really peaceful and serene. <laughs> sure does. Roxy, on a scale of one to nine, not out of 10, because the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement, how likely do you think the events of Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City are to happen in real life? So it was kind of really hard to rate this one because, like, what exactly are we even rating here about what can or can't happen? <laughs> what are we talking about? Here? Yeah, so I kind of just pivoted it off of the the town being like corrupted and kind of like just consumed for profit and greed and then like thrown away. That happens mm-hmm. a lot more often than I think we'd all like to admit or know sure. about. So I gave it a six out of nine for. Purely that reason, because everything wow. else, I guess maybe it should be a, a bit lower. I'm going to say it's a five out of nine. So I'm w- Okay, I got excited because I did give it a six. You did? Okay. Uh, yeah. For which I thought which we were reason? right on board because, well, for my whole thing, it was like kind of what you're talking about. Yes, uh, big evil pharmaceutical companies taking advantage of uh, lower to middle class Americans. Sure, happens a lot. Zombies, obviously not super real. But I'll tell you what actually makes me want to give this movie a seven. Oh, Makes me want to move it up. Okay. You move down. I'm moving up. I'm going to seven. Okay. Things just happen in this movie. It's not a story. Uh-huh. <laughs> and as my therapist will constantly remind me, life is not a movie. Things just happen. Yes, that's true. Uh-huh. I have a distancing technique, Roxy. Okay. <laughs> where I think of my life as a television show, and it's a way to not truly engage with my feelings. Yes, we have talked about this before, too. It's not so much that uh, I'm actually going through something. It's that- the writers are putting me through something. And uh, my therapist is like, you should stop that. You should feel your feelings. And so she would actually love me to watch Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City more because she'd be like, right, there's no story structure. There is no hero's journey going on. There's <laughs> Just no like real life. thematic coherence to this. And that's what you need to think about your life like. Who knew this movie was just like real life, Mikey? What, what a movie. Oh, my therapist recommended I watch this movie years ago. Oh, okay. So yeah, that... I mean, I was wondering why you chose this movie, uh, and it all makes perfect sense now. It's on your therapist's recommendation. Uh, Roxy, last week we made a bet about this movie. Yes. We wanted to know how many total monsters from the Resident Evil video games would make appearances here in Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Yeah. I said seven monsters. Yes, and I said five. Roxy, God bless us. The answer was six. Damn, we got a second tie. It's been a long time. <laughs> We saw Lisa Trevor, uh-huh. who was, of course, in Resident Evil 1. God, we didn't even talk uh, about Lisa. There's just too much shit in this movie to talk about. <laughs> let, let me let me say one thing that does bother me about Lisa. Well, real quick, we'll say uh, the, yeah. the crows, the zombies, the dogs, the liquor, and William Birkin. Yeah. So along with Lisa Trevor, that's Which six total monsters. Two, so, Birkin has two forms, so we were like, eh, should we? No, same guy. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, so the total bet score stands at Roxy with 20, Mikey with 19, Ty with two. All right. And remember, something happens at 30. Or does it? Don't know. We'll find out. Uncle- unclear. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna find out. Uh, here's real quick one thing I do want to say that bothers me a lot about this movie and that bothered me about Resident Evil Apocalypse. Uh, one of was the, the, I, the I believe it was one? the second Mia Jovovich movie. Okay. Oh, God. Don't get me started on that one. I do not like when we are adapting classic monsters from a video game Uh that are very scary. I do not like when they are turned into heroes. It's very strange. It makes no sense. Lisa Trevor is a good 
person in this movie. And she is probably the scariest Resident Evil it's monster weird. of all time. Yeah, and it's not like she's evil. She's just doing her own thing. And it it's like unpredictable. <laughs> and like that's why She's a renegade. Well, that's why it's so scary because it's unpredictable. And she hasn't lost her mind the same way other zombies have. So there's some sort of semblance of like thought process in her brain. So when she does things, you're like, why is she doing that? Does she understand why she's doing it? It makes her more unpredictable and scary because of that. And she's literally wearing a mask of her mother's skinned face, yes. and which they never address. And it's because she's so fucked up because she was a little girl when she had these horrible things happen to her. So, like, that's how she coped. She's really fucked up and is trying to kill you. I mean, this is what's so frustrating about this, like, smashing together of two movies. Like, this is a great, great story. A little girl who is ripped away by this evil company and she's experimented on and now she has turned into this monster and she's looking for her mother and it's very sad. And again, in the Resident Evil game, you are finding notes from her as she's turning into a monster and she's kind of talking about like they took mother and I can't find her. Yeah. I found her skin, but she's not alive. Like it's very sad. Yeah. It's a truly sad thing. And then at the at, in the game, you have to defeat her. By revealing her mother's skeleton and causing this, again, little girl to kill herself. Yeah, she, like, picks like, up the skull and, like, walks over to the edge of this, uh, like, thing you're on and throws herself into a pit. So this is a great story of, like, how traumatic and sad it would be for one of our heroes, Chris or Jill, to realize that this horrifying monster that has been chasing them is a cute little girl, and then they have to kill her anyways. Yeah. And if you open this movie with, like, Chris being the type of guy who's just like, anything for the mission, and then he gets put into this context and really has to reckon with, like, what it means to do something for the mission— that's a really good story. Yeah. That's a really, like, rich, dramatic, sad little story. And in this movie, they turned her into, uh, like, a cameo appearance. Yeah, and she's, like, Claire's <laughs> BFF for no reason. She, like, looks at Claire a couple times. And Claire, as a little child, seeing the way Lisa looks, it makes no sense why she would react this way. Because she's just, like, calm and, like... Oh, who yeah. are you? And like going after are her. Are you my new friend? Yeah. And she's like, Argh. Yeah, exactly. It makes no sense. And then at the end, she literally fights a liquor. It's Lisa versus a liquor, like grudge match. And she's like, Dude. Snaps its neck and jaw. It's so ridiculous. So, hey, guys, if you ever want to know if Lisa Trevor or a liquor was stronger, now you know Lisa's stronger than a liquor. <laughs> She even has, like, the backstory of her dad. So the reason why she's even there is her dad designed the Spencer mansion. He was paid by Spencer yeah. to design it. And then he was like, well, no one can know the secrets. Thanks for your work. And then, like, killed them. And she was just right. there as, like, a casualty, an afterthought, too, which is even more tragic, too. It's not even like she was abducted specifically for experimentation. She just happened to be there. Man. Dude, I'm so pissed off. Like, I, I don't know. It, it didn't bother me so much when I was watching. I was like, oh, it's kind of cool that Lisa's around. Now I'm like... Yeah. She's the core of that movie and that story. Could've and been. like that's it's the scariest monster and it's got the most tragic backstory and it's just like it's a it's a beautiful little story that the Resident Evil games told with her. Yeah. And we lost it so they could show Hunk and Claire. Like Yeah, and play Journey know, while uh, Chief Irons tries to escape the city for like way too long. I don't know why. <laughs> It's, it's wasted I'm potential because there is motivation. When you see the interviews with the actors, a lot of them played the games growing up and are like really excited to be there and like they're doing a good job. The costumes look like spot on. 
A lot of the locations mm-hmm. look spot on. Like we said, a lot of the shiny object things, some of them made sense to be there, some of them didn't. But, like, there was effort involved in doing that. Like, an attempt was made in, like, <laughs> a very sincere way. But then also everything else that we just talked about for the last, like, hour. Just, like, it. it's such a shame. Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, I mean, I enjoyed my experience with this, but I also didn't enjoy my experience with this. It's a very, like, hard movie to pin down how I feel about it, even after talking about <laughs> it for this long with you. You know? Yeah. It seems as though you two are down. I chose this film because I thought seeing an adaptation of your favorite video games would make you happy. I had no idea that watching this would be so disappointing for you. Okay, well, I mean, I appreciate you acknowledging it, DemonBot. Thanks. For next week, you must watch the 2018 film Headcount, directed by L. Callahan and starring Isaac J., J. Lee, and Ashley Morgan. If you do not, your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. All right, Roxy, so we've got another movie that thankfully will not be adapted from one of our favorite things, and maybe we won't have to take everything so personal. Thank God. <laughs> Headcount, yay, all right, I'm going to... Throw myself yeah. into the If it sucks, movie. we can just be like, ah, it's a, it's a sucky movie. We don't have to feel bummed that we missed out on this beautiful adaptation of a story we care about. Exactly. Roxy, let's make a bet for this head count, huh? Get us out of the doldrums. Yeah, let's do it. That sounds good. Okay. All right. So how about the bet for this week? Does the third build actor and the end credits survive the film? Okay, so when we watch the end credits, whoever's build third, their character, if they survive. I think yes. I think the third spot is a good place for a comic relief style friend who makes it to the end. Okay, and then in opposition to that, I'm going to say no. And I honestly don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. The bet is locked in. All right. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. Whoever correctly guessed whether or not the third build character in the film will survive shall be declared the winner. The winner shall receive an all-expenses-paid trip for five for a five-night stay in the Joshua Tree Desert courtesy of a friend of mine who lives there. Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of scary things this week. Truly. Lisa Trevors. Zombies. Faulty adaptations of stories we love. Tragic. Let's end by talking about something that's making us happy. What's brought a smile to your face this week? So the thing that has brought a smile to my face this week is actually another podcast. It's called... Oh, is it scary? It's not at all. <laughs> not not even in the least. In fact, it is the thing that is helping me sleep at night, actually. Um, it is called The Empty Bowl. Uh, okay. have, you, have you heard of this at all, Mikey? No, I don't know it. Okay, so one of the McElroy brothers, so Justin McElroy and Dan Gubert, they just talk about cereal, cereal news, cereal okay. tastes, these new cereal marketing campaign serials from back in the back in the day i guess and they talk in a very mm-hmm. calming voice and there's serene music playing and like the ocean sounds of the ocean like waves coming and going oh i love this it's so meditative and peaceful and like they've got a very good tone to their voices that you know you can be interested in it. i i will keep repeating the episode so even if i fall asleep while i'm hearing it you know i'll hmm. be wa- listening to a different part of a different episode a different day while i'm trying to sleep and uh, i'll find out more about serial news hmm. and it has made me a little motivated to be like hmm i wonder what that if i would like that serial maybe someday i will try 
and have a cereal adventure <laughs> of my own and try out some new flavors. I love this. You're expanding your cereal palette. And I've been telling you for years, you got to eat something besides Cinnamon Toast Crunch. The cereal world's so wide open, Roxy. Truly, especially because the mascots for those are cannibals and it's a little unsettling. So what about you, Mikey? What has been making you feel happy this week? What has been bringing you joy? Roxy, I saw a movie this week that not only made me happy, but I think in describing it to you is going to make you happy. Oh, okay. I'm excited. I watched and loved the film Spirited Away. What? Okay. Yes. What? All right. So, Mike. So, I, and yeah. I, listen, to be clear, I know that that is not like a wild take. That's like saying like, listen, I'm just here to tell you pizza is delicious. It's like, we know. We know. Spirited Away. It's an all-time great movie. People love it. I get it. For me to say that, that's like if uh, somebody whose father was killed by the pizza industry said this pizza is really good. Like, I do not like anime Anime stuff. didn't kill anime Mikey's father, though, just to be clear. <laughs> it just doesn't dislike him, but I, it has not murdered a loved one yet. <laughs> that's true. Anime hasn't done anything to me, but for whatever reason, I react to it as though it did. I have tried. I showed Mikey Ghost in the Shell. I showed Mikey Cowboy Bebop. And other yes. other shows as well. But those are like two entry ones that normally people who don't even care about anime are like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Can't stand H it. Having Mikey watch Spirited Away is a big deal. Spirited Away is really nice. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a cute little girl. She's like, it's like, it's so well acted. Like the animation yes. is so like specific. She's like behaving like a little girl. It's a movie that I, I know I watched in high school and was just like. Shut up! What's this about? Ah! <laughs> and yeah, I rewatched it, and it was a, a true delight in every sense. Yeah, it's, Jim, uh, it's coherent in its way. Ghibli movies it's are lovely, very distinct. It's beautiful. Yeah, and like if you're yeah. willing to try more, there's two in particular. They're about like the creative experience and like thought Don't process. Push it, Roxy. I know, I know. All right, all right. But, what, are, what are the other? But ones one I of them watch? is about a girl who is learning to write. So I think you would really appreciate that. Uh, it's called Whisper of the Heart. That sounds right. Okay. And that's like one that I think was in the early or late 80s, early 90s, maybe. So it's one of the older ones. Oh. And then Kiki's Delivery Service is also about it, too, where basically like her magic is kind of a, is allegory the right word? My brain feels fried right now. Allegory? Metaphor? Metaphor. Yeah, metaphor. That's what it is. Uh, her magic is like a metaphor for like creative drive, kind of, and like what it takes to be creative and what happens when you lose this thing that was like so important to you and felt like it informed every aspect of your life and what you did what what happens when that goes away mm -hmm. and you don't know how to get it back so i think you can appreciate those i'm not going to push them on you but should you <laughs> have the presence of mind to try and try out another ghibli movie those would be the two i would recommend specifically for you as someone who creates things i think you would like them i like that i you know what i my my mind is open to them now okay that means a lot <laughs> to be to be clear though the thing I'm going to have to do before I even attempt to watch another Studio Ghibli movie is to get out of this basement alive. Let's do Roxy, it. Each week, the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door, and yet each week we still escape. <laughs> this week, I brought along a weapon. You ready? Sure. What is that? It's a flamethrower. Oh, okay. All right. I'm pretty convinced that whatever monster is out here, I'm going to have a leg up on him. You ready? Okay, yeah, I'm gonna stand back here because those flames reach pretty far and uh, I don't know what's gonna be up there. I'll just let uh, oh, you yeah, find they, it out. To be clear, they curl around, so definitely well, he's, <laughs> stay, he's, stand back. He's throwing it around wildly, so it's kind of just going everywhere. It's really showboating <laughs> over here, Mikey. We get it, <laughs> like we get Yosemite it. Sam you have a, a flamethrower. We get it, you have a flamethrower, you're excited about it, it's really cool, okay. 
<laughs> Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Okay, here we go. Up the stairs. What, what is it? <sighs> Roxy, wouldn't you know it? It's a flame monster. Okay. Well, fight fire with fire. That, yeah, will that work? Yeah, we'll try it. Okay. Here we go. Hey, it's my friends. More fire. <laughs> oh, he sounds so pleasant. Hey, Mikey, maybe you won with the power of friendship this time. Oh, my goodness. I think you solved it anyway. Not, not the way you meant to. But... I'm going to give him a hug. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Mikey, no. Stop it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to find a fire extinguisher. Why? Why did I think friendship would be stronger than flame? Where, where, where is it? 